Hello everyone. Today I'm happy to introduce my colleague, uh, Professor Aniket Kate. He joined the computer science department as an assistant professor in fall of 2015. Before joining Purdue, Aniket uh, was a faculty member and an independent research group leader at Saarland University, where he was heading the cryptographic uh, systems research group. He completed his PhD from the University of Waterloo in 2010 and did a postdoc at Max Planck Institute till 2012. Today, Aniket will be talking about the Internet of Value. Over to you. Thank you. So, uh, hello everybody and uh, thanks for coming for this talk. Uh, I see some familiar faces or some unfamiliar faces. So, uh, this is a talk I'm going to talk about uh, generally interesting uh, projects that we are doing in the space of cryptocurrencies, blockchain, uh, which generally is coming these days with a very nice name called Internet of Value. So during the talk, anytime you have, if you have any question, please feel free to stop me. Okay. So in particular, we'll be focusing on challenges regarding privacy and the some interesting applications of this whole field. So uh, we are seeing uh, over the, like after the explosion of internet or whatsoever, we are change, seeing a, a ever-changing space of communication. We were we still have uh, most of our communication for uh, other than just our emails, we were still doing them locally, like hiring a taxi or getting an agent for to rent an apartment or whatsoever. But from 2010 um, to 2000, uh, like by the last decade, we started to see globalization of whole this process in the form of we buy things, almost all our things online. We pay for things. We, when we connect to our friends, we connect to via Facebook. Whenever we want to find out a place, rather than just looking for a hotel, maybe I'll go for Airbnb. So all those sol solutions that we started to see. But still, all of them were central. There was one company who is organizing and who is maintaining all this information, maintaining the, all the reputations, who was controlling everything. And we rely on them for the correctness and the trustworthiness of all information. What we started to observe in 2010 onwards is that maybe we can also general, uh, decentralize this whole process. Okay? Rather than relying on single entity or single governing party, maybe we have something like decentralized and distributed environment. Initially, it started as something for the payments, where rather than relying uh, in the form of Bitcoin, where rather than relying on a single entity to perform transactions, we can now employ this Bitcoin, which does not rely on single party. The value of it doesn't depend upon a single governmental entity, or uh, it can be also regulated in a more general, uh, more generic and more decentralized fashion. And what we want to see now is that maybe we can move away from this only payment network only and basically use such an environment, which we typically now use a term called blockchain for everything, including all the things that we saw here for finding uh, where uh, if I'm buying a particular product, if I want to make sure that how that product actually reached me, okay, is the cheese that I'm buying is actually Swiss cheese. Okay, so we can indeed use all this decentralized environment to actually get guarantees which are distributed and decentralized. And indeed, that's certainly something which excites me. And we can typically say now that maybe Bitcoin or some of these currency may not survive. They have their own issues to somewhere or other. However, this whole concept of blockchain and its applicability is here to stay. And today we are going to see some of the applications of that in the payment domain as well as outside. So uh, this is just showing uh, another graphic here that how the whole investment and the whole uh, 
interest in this field is growing. I mean, there was until 2014 only few players in this space, while today, as we see, this is also slightly older things. I mean, we are seeing m many more players with much more investment in this space, and you can see all the big players now coming in picture in this setting. And this is just showing the whole startup industry here. There are just so many startups working in all different environments. So this is a live area, not only in the academics, but also in the industry where there are several players trying to develop all very interesting solutions. So this all started with uh, something called Bitcoin. And let's, in this talk, first I'll st uh, start explaining what is Bitcoin. In principle, I'll just give a very small uh, and crisp introduction what is necessary for our discussion today. Then we will look into an uh, interesting application of such a system outside uh, the payment industry, in particular to non-disclosure agreement. Followed by that, I'll talk about the privacy challenge uh, with, with such a system for cryptocurrencies such as Bitcoin, other, as well as some other uh, entities such as credit networks. And I'll end up giving a small slide talking about very interesting challenges that I, I find interesting. Uh, this is just a very small list and there are just so many things that you can do here, but we'll just look at some of those, okay? So how the way to look at Bitcoin uh, indeed is that it's a cryptocurrency. So it's based, inherently based on a cryptographic concept of digital signature. Uh, let's say here, our Alice, she wants to pay to somebody Bob some, let's say one Bitcoin in this scenario. What she does is she basically creates a signed transaction saying that I want to give out of the 70 uh, odd uh, Bitcoin that she got, she want to give one Bitcoin to Bob. And that's what I'm showing there on the top, where the value go from A to B. And the rest of the money after this transaction get back to me and goes to my another wallet. Okay, and I, she's just basically going to take this transaction, sign it with her signature scheme and send that to the network. What the network does is that it creates us a blockchain. It creates keep on collecting these transactions that users are performing, combine them in blocks, which are basically uh, the a set of transactions that happen in a time period and agreed by the network. And they keep on appending this block to the existing network. And that's how you create such a chain on, of transactions or the chain of blocks. And that's the reason we call this as a blockchain, okay? And the idea is that once you see your transaction in the blockchain, or once the receiver Bob sees that transaction is, is, is indeed in the blockchain for some time, it knows that it, it's going to remain there. And now it knows that indeed the money belongs to, to this person Bob. So that's a way we can take the concept from the cryptography and try to use that towards money in this particular form. And that's the only, uh, way we perform here. There is no real uh, transaction involved. All things are just determined by this blockchain and the digital signatures. As it turns out, there are several interesting things we can study here, like how these blockchains are formed, what can we do with these digital signatures. But I like to, uh, for our talk, uh, bring the attention to an interesting concept there, which we call as smart contracts. Okay, or maybe we can just call them as a contract. So when this particular transaction got, gets added to the system, uh, there is a small script that has to run, which says that you're going to calculate whether the input value uh, for a transaction, which was $70 on the previous slide, you're going to check the output value, they should match, the signature should actually match the signature that is provided by the user, and it should be valid signature. We are going to check all these things. And for that, they have developed a small scripting language. Okay, but as it turns out, we can introduce interesting uh, more opcodes to this system language and add more business log logic to such a system. 
and that's what the concept of smart contract is. So the concept is that because these transactions are inherently uh, executed by them themselves, so we can call these as self-executing scripts or program that directly control the transfer of the uh, of the digital cash based on certain conditions. Okay, so it's like a contract can be between multiple participants, but for simplicity, we're going to assume that it's just between two participants. Okay, and the uh, uh, the contract can be like based on some conditions, some things will happen. Otherwise, something else will happen, and we are going to see example for that soon. But the key concept with the contracts is that they are self-imposable because whatever written in there, anybody can take this contract and execute that based on the well-defined input and output behavior from this contract. The second thing is they are trustless because now we are working in a system where this everything is maintained by the network and not individual. We do not need to trust an individual person. As it turns out, as uh, the, similar to the Bitcoin, uh, it also is faster and cheaper because we do not need anybody to execute your transaction or uh, or contract and they are faster because uh, because of the speed that is uh, with which the transaction are accepted in bitcoin it allows you also to get the speed so indeed these bitcoin smart contracts is certainly very interesting things and people are also developing other more interesting systems for the smart contract so there are various interesting examples that can, one can develop based on smart contract. And I just thought of giving some few basic examples. Let's say you want to crowdfund a project, but you do not want to give away your money until there are enough other players or enough other participants who want to give the money so that the, the, uh, that particular project can start. So this can be a contract where you, the transaction only starts when there's enough players and with enough money in the system. Otherwise, your money remains with you. That's one example of contract. You can also aim for fair exchange where if I give something to somebody, that other person should give, uh, give the other thing back to me. If they don't agree with the contract, or uh, if they don't do that, they will lose money. So contracts can be have such interesting business logic that is included in this. I also gave a talk last year which we, uh, with something called non-equivocation contract, which says that you should not make different statements in different contexts. If you, or in same context, you should not make different statements. If you do that, then you will be held accountable for that. So there are various interesting examples for the contracts. And today, we are, what we are going to see is another example, which is uh, something which I assume some of you have already heard about. It's called non-disclosure agreement. So this non-disclosure agreements or NDA is a, co a very common thing in the industry, which allows you to uh, two participants to share some documents, mostly from one person to other person, such that this other person can use the information in those documents, but they should not reveal that to the rest of the world. Okay, so these things come as name as confidentiality agreement, uh, property information agreement in all these different names. And uh, what happens is that many times these agreements get breached and there are so many uh, examples, even when we just provide our password and username to a system so that they can allow us to log in. In principle, they should not reveal this password, but they reveal it. And they are like even bigger examples. You might have heard about this French uh, military manufacturers and uh, which they re recently had this new submarines called Scorpion and the document regarding that got leaked by some third party who was supposed to keep them uh, secure. So the de breaches of this kind are extremely common. What do you do there? And basically, when you have any such breach in the 
NDA, you require some arbiter, some trusted party who actually should take care of that. Indeed, there's a breach happen, and then respectively maybe have some legal option or some monetary issues so that the uh, the, the person who's uh, who has uh, suffered the document loss has uh, get either monetarily paid or otherwise. What we want, uh, and in this case, as we can see here, I'm just drawing the same thing uh, in a more pictorial fashion. So we uh, typically in an NDA, we have a sender and a receiver, where sender is sending a confidential document to the receiver, which receiver is should keep the private. Okay, and let's say somehow receiver, if she reveals this document to the uh, uh, like to the world uh, via unauthorized sharing, then what you want is that somehow. Uh, the sender can actually create a, a, a sender can actually go after such a receiver, talk to their lawyers, communicate with the law and authority, and make these uh, receivers uh, accountable for what they did. Okay, but as it turns out, this process of using lawyers and the law authority is time-consuming, and as well as this resource institute, you have to spend significant amount of time and payment to get this done. So what we aim for is that. Can we do anything for this uh, this expensive and time-consuming process so that we can uh, we can use these contracts to actually make this uh, process faster and cheaper? So what we think of here as a solution is that maybe we can uh, have some kind of interesting time-lock deposit. So the what the idea for such a time-lock deposit will be it provides the receiver. Uh, a receiver of confidential document with a primary incentive to keep this uh, maintain the uh, the maintain this hidden or don't disclose it. If they do that, then there will be uh, they will lose some money which is put which they have kept aside separately in a deposit. Okay. In generally, what we want is that we uh, what will happen here is that the sender and the receiver will create a contract where the receiver puts money into this some time lock deposit such that this deposit contract will include secrets from both the participants. Okay. After the timeout, which typically we expect to be large, the deposit money will return to the receiver who created the contract. But instead, somehow if magically the sender receives the secret that is provided by the receiver, then it can take this secret and withdraw the money anytime even before this time lock. And the question will always hinge that, uh, that if the receiver reveals the document, it should be possible for sender to obtain the secret of the receiver so that then he can get the money. So the way we do that is uh, we use a combination of uh, some uh, well-known tools in cryptography, most watermarking and oblivious transfer, such that uh, when the sender is sending a document to receiver, it's going to create some various versions of that, okay? And receiver is going to pick one version which will explicitly associate itself with the secret that it has uh, that it is going to associate with this particular time lock deposit so the sender is going to create several copies the receiver is going to pick one of them okay based on that's what it is done with the concept of oblivious transfer so uh, at the end of this protocol sender has no idea which version receiver got but it knows that one of the version it got okay and then idea will be once this exchange has happened, afterwards when the receiver, let's say, reveal this document to the other world, now by looking at the document, the sender can know what, which version or which of those earlier version 
is the one which is used by the receiver or which is published by the receiver. As the receiver only got one version, it cannot cheat, okay? And sender cannot even cheat because out of lots of versions that are created by sender, receiver just picked one. So it has no idea which one it picked, okay? So that way both parties are whole accountable until something is wrong done by the receiver, all right? And once that receiver publishes a document, sender will have a very simple process to determine what was the private key or what was the secret that receiver put in the contact. And then it can just obtain that, open the uh, deposit and get this money. Okay, so this way in scenarios where we don't require an arbiter or legal process, we can associate a deposit, deposit of money with a non-disclosure agreement. question is about um, if there are two receivers, do they receive two different copies of the secret because one of them can leak then how do I know which one of them uh, leaked? Yeah, that's it. I can detect money from both in that case. Excellent question. So uh, the question was just because uh, the mic was not on is that what if you have multiple receivers? Okay. Uh, Currently, the way we are defining, we are defining that uh, that will be individual contract between one sender and one receiver. But it's a very interesting, uh, still manageable challenge to actually extend this to the whole system where you have simultaneous multiple receivers of the whole system. And with this, we come very close to the concept of trader tracing. So uh, indeed, it's possible, but currently the focus is just, we are going to assume that there will be separate contract for each receiver. Okay. Good, so uh, this is like a brief overview of what we did in this solution. Now we'll move on and try to look at uh, uh, some other aspects regarding this. The one of them is the privacy challenges that we all these systems and cryptocurrencies have with them. So we already saw that we have sender Alice and she was sending money to Bob and the return money she gets back in her another address, okay? She can also put, replace that A prime which is basically her new address or the new wallet with her individual wallet. Okay, uh, but as it turns out, anybody for let's say this example uh, that I'm showing here, there are two coins. One went to the uh, one went to the Bob, and other returned to the other address of Alice. Okay, this process can repeat based on with several transactions, as I'm showing here, where we sh Alice start with one uh, wallet, she put give some money to one Bob, then uh, the all the return came to a prime address, then again it is transferred to some other Carol. The remaining came to again a double prime and again the some other more money sent to Dave and the remaining came to a triple prime. Uh, anybody who can see all this log, which is public, because it's in the blockchain, which is a public environment, can easily associate that the four addresses a, a prime, a double prime, a triple prime, all belong to the same person. Okay. Now eventually, if they some are able to associate any of this address with Alice, her own identity in the physical world, they know the, all the transactions that are performed by Alice, where the money is, and they can maybe, if she earns a lot of money, they may also go after her, uh, not only to just break her anonymity, but also get this money, because uh, basically get this money by stealing the private key. So this linkability is a huge issue in all these systems because of the general public nature of all these logs and blockchains, okay? So uh, as it turns out, there are just several attacks that have come on such a system, and this is just two examples. I mean, one example they were able to, this is from 2013, so quite old, but they are still able to associate 
all the important transactions that were present at that time in Bitcoin and associate with them several entities that are present. And in that way, they know the transaction volume, who paid to whom what in all entirety. Okay, they also push button services, which basically allow you to basically click in, put some information and get a, get whatever statistics or whatever uh, information that is known for those IP addresses, which is bit iodine. So that's all such de-anonymization services are, are possible, and it's a huge challenge in all this new space. So uh, towards working towards solution, we uh, started to look into the possible uh, possibilities that are available to us. And the way to solve this de-anonymization problem uh, is to use some kind of an anonymous communication system to actually make these transactions unlinkable to each other. Okay. Uh, very briefly, there are three different kind of a solution that present in such systems: mixing network, onion routing, and the dining cryptographer networks. Among these, the first two, the mixing network and onion routing inherently assume some set of semi-trusted nodes which are providing you the anonymity. They are basically proxy for you. Okay? Instead, the dining cryptographer is a system where it's just the participant who want to actually get the privacy, who want to get the anonymity. They come together and perform the transaction together. Such that eventually they get the benefit without requiring any third party. Given that the blo whole blockchain concept has the inherent assumption that we do not want any trusted third party, uh, it is it, this uh, concept is certainly much more coherent and consistent with the way Bitcoin uh, way of thinking or the cryptocurrency way of thinking. So uh, that's what we did, and uh, the idea is that we are we want to achieve uh, solutions for this uh, linkability problem. And in particular, we want what we'll call as P2P protocol. These are that means a protocol which only and explicitly employ peer-to-peer -peer communication without no third party, and uh, solve the privacy issues with the public verifiability of this blockchain or public availability of this blockchain. So, what uh, very briefly, what a dining cryptographer kind of a network can allow you is that. Assume that a protocol which uh, allows participants to provide inputs such that at the end of that, you're going to summation of all those inputs. Let's say those are plain numbers, like everybody, let's say everybody input a random number in some range or some number of their choice. What the protocol is going to provide you in the end is a summation of all these numbers. Okay. However, in our case, we do not want summation. What we want is that we have different transaction and or we have different requirement for the participant and we want to mix these messages. So let's say there were, uh, there were different transaction for all these participants and we want to basically mix them together with each other. Okay? So the message M1 went somewhere else, M2 went somewhere else after the mixing. And uh, the protocols to do such things are already known in the literature. Some of them were providing such a system. And the two prominent examples for this is Decent and a Coin Shuffle, which basically uh, are extremely close to each other. However, uh, this whole process of mixing this transaction was requiring the number of rounds that is linear in the number of peers. That means if you have four participants, you have to go, you have to wait for four communication rounds. If you have 100 participants, you have to wait for 100 rounds. And that can be onerous or that can be problematic in real world scenario. Let's say if you want to participate 100, uh, if you have 100 participants, maybe your protocol will take some minutes, maybe 10 minutes. That is too, uh, too slow for the real world. So instead, what we want to achieve is that we want to reduce this and make it uh, only uh, constant time, such that we, uh, all these 
this uh, combination, all this uh, mixing, or all this uh, shuffling that we saw happens much faster. Okay? If you have some guys who are malicious, this just increases even further. That's where you require much more time than earlier. So as we already know, what Dining Cryptographer provides us is a very interesting way so that if my message is M1 and the other guy's message is M2, we combine them together and we get output as M1 plus M2. Okay? Uh, what if we have two participants and instead of sending one message, we send two messages. We send M1 and we, I also send M square and the other participants send M2 and M square or M2 square. Okay? Now, if we do two, two of these, uh, these things simultaneously, what we'll get output as is mes message M1 plus message M2 and second output will be message M1 square plus message M2 square. Okay? Now, given this equation, we can solve this equation to obtain the values of M1 and M2. Okay? And we can obviously extend this for any number of value of n and basically replace such a system for just of values of M1, M2. We can take message M1, M2 up to Mn and respectively have M1 square, M2 square, Mn square and so on such that we can get the whole system. Like when you have n participants, we can have n simultaneous message from them. We combine all of them together and basically we solve this equation sum to obtain these all these values m1 to mn in a shuffled form. Okay? So at the end of the protocol, we basically get all these summation of mi, summation of mi squares and we solve this system and we get the individual values of m which is our initial goal. All right, and this we can allow, the, this concept is called as Newton's identity and which allows us to, uh, us to obtain the values M1 to Mn in a, some, uh, some uh, shuffled fashion. Okay, and as the, all these communications are happening simultaneously in the, uh, all these, basically all these N messages are sent simultaneously, the number of rounds that we require is only one. Okay. So this way we can perform the shuffling that is required for the transaction in the constant number of rounds. And even when we have some of these participants malicious, we will only have, have that in the linear in the number of participants. That's for the uh, basics that I wanted to cover for the, uh, for the peer-to-peer mixing and its application that how we can employ that for mixing the Bitcoin. So once we are able to mix such transaction, we can combine those transactions together and obtain the effect so that you don't know who sent money to whom. Okay, so uh, there we have like participant A1 to AN and they have recipient B1 to BN and all of the transaction happen together. So you do not know whether A1 talk to A B1 or A1 talk to BN. And we get all this combination and that's the one which provides us the privacy that is required for the transactions. Now moving on, the next thing that we are going to see now is a some a interesting concept in this whole seating called IOU credit networks. So uh, let's start it to look at in a scenario where maybe uh, there are two participants who want to perform a transaction, but they do not have a common a currency in common. Okay, so. Uh, what they can do instead is that they can assume that maybe they just create a link so that eventually they will they will settle this via some mean or other okay let's say I have Bob and Alice and Bob has to pay Alice okay Bob has given some service to Alice for hundred dollars now Alice does not have money to immediately pay pay to Bob instead what she can provide Bob is a signature saying that I owe you hundred dollars 
okay we can have similar system uh, that where basically in a credit network representation we are going to represent this whole thing as a link going from Alice to Bob with an arrow 400 okay correspondingly we can uh, let's say we have Dave and Carol and Dave and Carol uh, went for hike with Alice and Bob okay now you can see in this system is that Dave uh, gave some some uh, let's say gave a meal or something to Carol which cost hundred which cost ten dollars now Carol actually owes Dave this ten dollars but Carol just going to say that look Dave uh, we both are not going to meet each other anytime in the future so how we settle this transaction so what they can do here is that they can know that they know both Alice and Bob together so what they can do is that they can use this trust between Alice and Bob which is already present and so that now instead of Carol directly owing Dave ten dollars she can use this path via Alice and Bob so that uh, now she will owe Alice ten dollars Alice will now owe Bob more that is ten hundred hundred which was already present plus ten that already got added and Bob will now owe Dave ten dollars and in this way they can settle this transaction that we wanted to perform with the guarantee with the hope that eventually Alice and Carol they are going to see each other in the future and they can use this link to settle this transaction okay so that's the concept of credit network so the credit network the idea is that whenever you have any payment or any settlement that you need to perform for any transaction instead of actually paying that the money you search for the paths on the network which basically all these paths are IOU path it's similar to that you try to settle uh, among yourself just by rather than paying money by instead of using the previous depth to settle those payments so I'm showing an example here let's say here Bob and Bob needs to uh, pay Carol uh, $15 what can happen is that Bob can try to search the path from Bob to Carol and check if that all those paths have the enough credit on that and the paths over here will be these two paths okay uh, which has enough credit so they are going to perform the transaction such that the values will be respectively reduced so basically the link from Bob to Carol will become from Phi to zero and the, all the other path which goes via Eve and Dave to Carol that will also reduce by the value 10 so that now they have settled a transaction of $15 so this is now a, a, a slightly different domain than actual cash payment which was the case in Bitcoin something like that here you want to settle everything via the pre-existing depth and then your hope is that whenever possible you try to reduce the depth in the system if it is not possible you introduce new edges okay that's the whole concept regarding this uh, credit network and it provides uh, interesting opportunities along with something which is already possible with Bitcoin so what it allows in this way is that it allows you to perform transactions which are uh, in a manner such which is flexible and robust uh, so that you settle the transaction via transitive, uh, via transitive trust and links and if something wrong has happened in such a system the loss will be also bounded what I mean by that is that let's say here uh, Eve decide to actually disobey or disallow the transaction which she actually should allow in that case the amount of amount of uh, incorrectness that can ha happen in the system is explicitly limited by the amount of trust or amount of IOUs that Eve has obtained from the other red network so in principle here if we see Alice and Bob uh, basically she, they are trusting Eve for the 10 and 20 dollars respectively 
and that's the only badness that they can happen because now all this liquidity that or all this uh, trust that or all this IOU that they have provided to Eve, uh, she will just uh, deny to use it or employ that in wrong fashion. But another thing is that the trust that she is putting on other guys is worthless because by that she is just making or by that IOU trust that she is putting is basically just making her more uh, her more the part of the system and more uh, even if she decide to disobey that we have nothing to lose in the system. So in principle this uh, boundedness can be have interesting applications and uh, that's the scenario that uh, along with the uh, payment system it can be also uh, used for something like civil resistant applications in the sense that rather than uh, in your distributed network, the uh, the things that 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 can go wrong, instead of depending them on the number of bad participants in your system, now that instead will depend on the bad links in your systems. Okay, so for example, the example I'm showing here, the the left hand side are good participants and the right hand side we have bad participants, and there can be any number of bad participants, but the amount of things that may go wrong is explicitly determined by the trust that is provided by the good participants to the bad participants okay so it's similar to the social network where uh, you you are typically assumed to have good friends the friends that you know these are the real people okay and the things that only go wrong when you actually make friend with somebody else who is uh, who is a, a civil node or a malicious node and actually infiltrated your network and your friends network through that so if you have only few edges which are bad then the amount of things that can go wrong in your system is small if you have more friends which are if you are just some you accept all the requests on facebook things uh, you will just see much bad information or much you will get very uh, many bad links so this is just a very simple way to look at the see uh, the system in the similar way here so uh, in principle this thing we can define as the edge cut and the amount of badness that we can happen inherently depends on the edge cuts okay so in most application be introducing the node is much easier than the drawing the trust from the well-behaved node and that's the assumption which allows us to differentiate between the well-behaved nodes and the civil node in such a system and reduce the any sort of wrongness that can happen okay there have been several systems which are developed of this kind and as we are in we are talking about the payment domain i will focus on the ripple network which is basically a uh, online settlement network employs exactly the same concept and is used by several players okay so ripple network is a credit network among participants and they have trust which is flowing between all these participants and there are banks all over the world which employ this for example these are the two examples from usa there are examples from germany uh, spain australia singapore all these banks there are also uh, you don't have because of the credit network you don't have any limitation into on one currency okay some links can be in dollar others can be in bitcoin others can be in euros or some others can be singaporean dollar you name it and then uh, because of this such a system you can have the transaction which goes and cut the boundaries across the currencies and in principle uh, this ripple networks the key advantage that is applicable here is that you can convert one money to some other money you can convert dollars to euro if it is allowed by the some participants in the network as long as you are following the graph or you are following the path in the graph so these are the systems and basically a network is basically full of such values which 
all different links have different currencies on them and you allow the intra-currency transactions. The reason why people started to use such a system is similar to the blockchain general scenario. Uh, once you perform a transaction on a path, the transaction get added to the ledger, that's it. It's a perfect transaction which will not get reverted. So the things such as remitting money, which we know takes days, at least a day, can happen using such a system just in a matter of few seconds. And there are banks which are using such transactions across different currencies from Canada, Canada to, to Europe and all these examples are already taking place. So, but as you can see, it also has a similar problem as the public verifiability that was present with the Bitcoin that we already saw. Okay, so before we move on, it's still interesting to understand the inherent difference between a credit network and, uh, and a cryptocurrency like uh, Bitcoin. And the differences can be looked into is that Bitcoin is actually currency. It's like other fiat currencies. It allows you to exchange one Bitcoin for other. It allows you to exchange money. While on other hand, a credit network is a transaction settlement network, it, which allows you to perform transaction across currency as long as there is a path exists from one user to the other user in the graph and that path allows you to perform this transaction. Okay. While in Bitcoin, we do not need such path. We can, it can happen between any two participants. So that's the trade-off there that if you want multi-currency transaction, Ripple is better. If you want to stick in one scenario, maybe something like Bitcoin is better. Okay? And there are also, uh, because of this whole uh, path-based transaction, as it turns out, there is still a difference in the Bitcoin and Ripple in terms of the scalability that uh, multi-currency transaction can become highly scalable as compared to this one currency system like Bitcoin. I have a question. Yeah. So let's say people are, uh, when they die, hmm. they are basically turning adversarial because yeah. edges are turning red. Yes. Eventually everyone dies. Yeah. So all edges turn red. Yeah. So, so, so the whole, uh, everyone is, so think of it in this way, like when someone dies, they are not going to uh, pay any uh, yeah. people back. The credit that people lose, that's lost. Yes. So every edge which turns red is lost. Yes. So over time, let's say in 100 years, whatever edges we had today, everything will turn red. Okay. I, I know so what I understand. So all the money is lost. Whatever we have, the network that we have today, after 100 years, all edges will be red. Yes, so I understand what you say. So uh, I'll not call lost. So the idea will be that uh, like we give the inheritance to our uh, successors, <laughs> basically we are going to provide this uh, as an inheritance successors in principle. So uh, in principle, it need not to be lost, but you may typically, I think if it comes to the money, I think for the path-based payment, Typically, you will just cash in. You will try to reduce these uh, links by zero by talking to this person and reducing the links to zero by actually cashing and converting that to fiat currency. That will be a more prominent scenario. But it, it, one never stops you from actually just uh, giving the secrets as from one generation to the other. Similar thing with Bitcoin. I mean, there's lots of Bitcoin which get lost because people forget their keys. So, as uh, I mean, it's similar in one case, when you lose your money, somebody else is probably going to get it in the real world. But in this case, unless somebody explicitly steal it from you, if you create something, get money on that uh, account, and then forget, the, uh, forget your secret, that's it, your account, is, uh, that money is lost forever, forever from the system. Yeah, you wanted to ask? So how, can you how can you transfer the, the Bitcoins into actual money? 
Like, how do you, is there, is there any way that from my bank if I have a wallet? So there are well-known exchanges, which allow, for one allows to do, allow you to do that, where you will go with the Bitcoin and they will convert that. They will, uh, you can search online and there's a big list and they all will tell their own exchange rates. You can also use something like Ripple Network where the idea will be with your bank, now will you have two link, one will be Bitcoin link and the other will be the, uh, some other currency link and you can convert that via the same bank or via different banks as well. So there are different exchange capabilities, rather that's a one of the inherent thing system that uh, people started to work immediately after coming with Bitcoin, that you want to exchange money from one way to other. Yeah? So if there is an institute that exchanges currency for the Bitcoin, doesn't that like over time get a lot of Bitcoins? Because that becomes a monopoly and then that, does, will that not destroy the network? Yeah, uh, the, but then idea will be typically they themselves also have to cash in somehow, so they are also going to distribute that. So eventually, there are people with who are uh, maybe more than one or two percent of bitcoins with them, uh, but not a lot. And eventually, they will also cash in. So as long as they started to own a significant amount of money, maybe we don't need to worry about. But if they started to own a really significant amount, like twenty percent, indeed things can go uh, wrong very quickly. So you said in a blockchain technology, yeah. if a transaction is just about to happen uh, from one party to another, does it get broadcasted to all the nodes in the network? Yes. So, so isn't that a breach of security? So if I want to send money to another party, yeah, but I don't want the other people to know about it. Yeah. It has to be so broadcasted. That's it. I mean, that's a good question. That's what we discussed earlier, that w one way to do that is then you combine your transaction with others like you so that they don't know who send money to whom. Okay. Okay. But indeed, that's exactly the privacy challenge that we have in all the system because the whole public nature of the logs, I mean, they have made log public for the trans uh, because they want to show that they are doing things correctly. Okay. Uh, but yeah, indeed, uh, the privacy is an uh, important and uh, key concern here. Well, and your okay. protocol is actually uh, to... My protocol allows us, to, uh, allows us to actually combine your transactions such that you can, uh, you can send money to others, but at the same time, you will remain hidden between a set of other guys who are performing transactions simultaneously with you. Okay, thank you. All right. So moving on, uh, the key thing, however, which is same between the two systems is this public logs that we already just mentioned about. And similar to what we observed in Bitcoin or in cryptocurrencies, here also we can use this public log to find out who transacted with whom, for what amount, what are the links they are used, how they are used. And because here we collect the money on the links, I'm not going to create, keep on creating thousands of links or thousands of account. So inherently, such a system is much more vulnerable to the, all this linking attack than the Bitcoin itself. So uh, it's possible to link multiple transactions and identity belong to the same user, even in such a system. And uh, this is obviously an assumed problem, but what we, uh, but similar to the Bitcoin, there was no study which was performed already to actually demonstrate that this attack happens. And typically in the research, or in the otherwise privacy attacks are the one which you have to actually demonstrate the attack before people started to uh, believe you. So it's innocent until proven guilty is the case for the privacy attacks. And then we wrote a paper 
recently which showed that indeed what all can you actually link and what all can you determine from this publicly available ledger for the ripple transaction in general. Moving on, then the question is how we solve the problem in this space because the pro similar problem exists in this uh, in the case of the path-based transaction as well. Okay, so. Uh, the idea is that similar to the Bitcoin, we want to combine different transactions. But we have a one issue here. The issue is that if all these transactions taking different paths and the path do not coincide, then you can still determine who is talking to whom based by looking at the path in the part of transaction or afterwards. So instead, what we have, what we want here is that we not only want that they perform the transaction together, but their path should also coincide in at least one node. So as I'm showing here in the diagram, the idea will be we have different participants, they want to talk with some other participants, but now they, they can perform the transaction together as long as they have some party in between through which all their paths will go through. And now for any observer who su sees such a transaction having multiple senders and multiple receivers with all paths going through just one node, they won't be able to link which sender is talking to which receiver. Okay, they will just be able to see that some sender is transmitted to some receiver, but because of this intersecting path, they won't be able to uh, obtain that information. And that's one way to achieve some privacy for this transaction. I mean, as I'm showing here with the, my example, I'm showing how the links will change. Basically, all the links on the left-hand side are reduced by 10, all the links on the right-hand side are increasing by 10. Okay, so some of you must have already seen if my transaction amounts are not the same in these transactions, then you can just link the sender and receiver by the transaction values itself here as well as in Bitcoin. Okay, so the inherent requirement is that the transaction volumes remain the same. But if you have enough participants who have the transactions which are of the same value or uh, which have exact same values or very similar values so that they can maybe do some rounding, you can use such a system. Okay, so uh, the path shuffle is the example that we saw earlier for the Bitcoin and here, uh, sorry, the coin shuffle is the example that we saw for the Bitcoin and here instead we now shuffle the paths with each other and obtain the privacy. The way, to, uh, way so that they can perform this with each other remain exactly similar to this squaring and uh, raising idea that we saw with the dining cryptographer network and the that's how they, they make the whole list which is available on the right hand side basically all the right hand side participants and then they use that to perform their transaction together. So uh, the key thing is that not only it's we find conceptual both the earlier protocol as well as these new protocols are applicable in the current networks and uh, we actually w just be able to take the current network as it is in the current form and by making uh, some minor modification, not to the network, but the way transactions are performed, we are able to perform these the transactions, this path shuffle as well as coin shuffle that we saw earlier on such a system. And we included those networks and they are present in the current logs which are present on these systems. So this system is 100% compatible with Ripple uh, in this case, which is a credit network. And we tested out that on the network successfully. And this can be now something which is ready to use. Uh, Ripple's network is slow in terms of acceptance, but in the uh, on the Bitcoin system, they have already started to use the uh, the concept that is developed by us. So uh, finally, coming to the interesting challenges uh, in the future, we have various interesting things that can happen. 
okay we have lots of challenges with the system we saw we uh, i would say that in the smart contract we are hardly yet utilizing the true potential of them there are several things where we can introduce them and reduce the intermediary which are making the process slow and resource constraint uh, there can be other uh, better systems that we can develop for the privacy however uh, i like to use this <coughs> slide to actually talk about some another applications for example there is a the concept of payment channels or lightning network these are the networks which uh, tries to combine the concept of credit networks and the concept of Bitcoin so that you can perform still perform transactions on channels much more faster because we saw that the ripple or the credit networks are faster than the Bitcoin network but at the same time we get the features which are similar to the Bitcoin where the trust now relies on the trust system of the Bitcoin and not on the trust system of the ripple for the blockchain and then there are interesting challenges there that how we achieve the security, privacy, and the applications there. Uh, we know from the internet that we typically, we don't call internet as a network, we call it the network of network. And if very soon we start to see uh, that there are all these blockchain solutions that are present. Some are private, which are developed by some of the companies, some are public. And we will require a system where these ledgers or these blockchains have to talk to each other so that you can perform what is called as interledger transactions and very interesting things to do there is that we can define a protocol which cut the boundaries across these ledgers and still allow them to exist in a manner they want to exist uh, locally or globally but still allow the transaction across them and this interledger protocol there is already a wc3 community on this topic but again, in all these interledger systems, we, we have to deal with the same issues as security and privacy. And uh, it, it's very interesting to consider the solution that we have developed and shift them to this newer and other, uh, other exciting domain. So in the end, uh, the four key points that I like to uh, mention here is that, uh, as I mentioned earlier, we st shifted in 90s from the local system to the global system in the form of Amazons and Airbnbs and Ubers. Uh, for the last seven, eight, around six, seven years, we are seeing a, a shift where rather than having a centralized system, we want to now develop a decentralized distributed systems, which does not rely on individual entity or individual organization for the trust. And it's, it seems very interesting that now these concepts can lead us to very interesting applications, not only in the payment industry, but also outside then we see that not only in the payment scenario, but the such systems can have application outside. And we saw an example regarding NDA, a non-disclosure agreement contract, and how can we actually allow to replace arbiters in such systems by the actual smart contracts in the Bitcoin system. Then we know the other examples. For example, there are issues in the sense that uh, there can be problems with uh, transaction linking in all such public systems. If the logs are public, people can link the transaction for you and determine who you are. And it's very critical and important problem to solve this privacy issue there. And in the end, we had a small discussion about what are the interesting challenges. So thanks a lot. And I'll be more than happy to have your questions. Yeah. Uh, how 
do how how do you detect leakage that sensitive document was leaked by receiver to someone that's a very good question so the idea is that uh, typically it's certainly something that we could outside if you can, cannot detect that the document is leaked if you do not have a, any way to determine that document is leaked if you just think from the basic information in perspective we cannot determine uh, we cannot know that something wrong has happened so we cannot enforce such a system rather i would make a claim that if you cannot determine the what is got leaked we can't do anything there other than just rely on some other mediums which are completely non uh, technical so it's an inherent assumption that we have to make that you know and you see the document that got leaked mm. okay yeah if, if i if let's say we have a mechanism to detect leakage mm. and in the oblivious transfer concept you said there are multiple versions of yes. the same document yes. so document is same but uh, encrypted with 10 different keys not encrypted it's just it has a different version it's like in one version you are going to use uh you are going to add two spaces in some cities. Mm. In other cases, you are going to add, uh, you are going to structure, you are going to uh, write with a different style of English, other we are going to write mm. in American style, in British style. So there are different techniques for watermarking which are present and you should employ such. Mm -hmm. But then the idea is that it should not be possible for the receiver to remove this watermark. So mm. you want to keep your watermarking technique hidden. So the concept that is typically asso associated with this is called robust watermarking. Uh, so then we assume that receiver cannot destroy yes. the watermark. And there is a Without destroying the document. Mm -hmm. yeah. And there is a money deposit which is made by receiver. Yeah. So if sender detects leakage, then yeah. sender can withdraw that this deposit. Money. Yes. And how is it done technically? So uh, the key concept there is that the document... Uh, this is just a simple way. Let's take uh, that this secret of that receiver has is just one bit of information. Mm -hmm. Okay, you are going to create two versions as a sender. Mm -hmm. Receiver got one version, which is exactly depends upon the that one bit of information, one bit of secret that it has kept. Now, if you see the leaked document, you can differentiate whether it was the first version or the second version, or the zeroth version or the first version, mm -hmm. and that allows you to determine what was the bit for the box or for the receiver now if you just extrapolate that concept for the key size so that you cut your documents in different parts and then basically create two versions for each those parts of it you can just extrapolate this concept so that now the receiver's whole private key can be revealed via this mean mm -hmm. so the receiver's private key is revealed by the fact which document receiver yes. has chosen yes. until receiver keeps his private key uh, uh, and uh, keeps the document hidden, nobody can know that. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah, it's interesting, maybe we can take it offline. Can the receiver somehow falsify that, that I... Mm. Yeah, let's talk, yeah. let's talk more offline, but I see what you are heading. Yeah, thank you. Okay. Any more questions? Yeah? So you said that... There is a move to change the network from uh, centralized to a decentralized. For example, the Bitcoin isn't isn't that a little bit dangerous, like because it's only used by sometimes it can be used in a negative ways. Like if there is no trusted party that actually can monitor 
Yeah. So you are you are talking about a, a a key issue that we have to look at all this in system is the yeah, I mean, regulation. Yes, you're saying it, there's a, a huge move that the whole system is 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 transferring to a decentralized system. But yeah, so the key thing is uh, there is an interesting issue and the key challenge is that government may still like to regulate that to a different level. Maybe not in a completely centralized manner, but still, if something wrong happens, they may want a capability so that they can go off, go after the some guys or determine something that. So uh, there can be interesting solutions which can. Uh, so currently, the current system is completely decentralized. They don't want to allow that, but maybe in the future we may have system which we try to achieve both the privacy, decentralization, or maybe three things simultaneously. Some regulation. while still maintaining the privacy and the decentralization right that's a very interesting challenge but i would say that from the experience that i got uh typically some central organizations give sign significant uh maliciousness or significant uh, notoriety to the systems much more than their actual effect that we see in the real world but while saying that i know that it's still a very interesting thing to get the regulation decentralization and privacy simultaneously yeah cuz technically it's it's actually excellent but on the other side it could be used in a uh, no but we can do better we can maybe try to achieve both simultaneously not at the moment but later in the future yeah okay yeah. thank you this time it's yeah thanks